Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Product Coffee, a podcast where product management leaders share stories, advice, and thoughts on all things product over a cup of coffee. Grab a cup of joe and join us to level up your product career 30 minutes at a time. Welcome to the show. This is our episode with Intelligent People. I have Chris Mason on the podcast today. Very excited to have him uh, talk about a whole bunch of things. We're going to kind of gear up on talking about the culture fit and kind of DNI and businesses. There's so much to talk about. But first, Chris, let's go ahead and start with uh, your elevator pitch. How did you get into product? And uh, give us a little bit of uh, background on yourself. Thank you, Kevin. So um, Intelligent People, we've been trading for 22 years now and for around 20 of that we've specialized in products so I remember back in the day when we started to come across our first product roles um, and didn't really know what they were to start with Um, we were trying to repurpose people from other areas into products maybe project management and it took us a while to to figure it out it was actually with AOL and that was when they were a media business Um, and um, yeah we've we've really grown with the the discipline and the community since then um we've sp- sponsored a load of events we work with mind the product and product tank and um jam london we sponsor women in product events as well uh, to try and um you know to support diversity in, in, in product management um <clears throat> and today probably about half of our customers are consumer brands so e-commerce media e-commerce retail media travel fintech edtech anything consumer facing um, and and the rest is b2b so mostly SaaS because that's a big market but enterprise software services and, and so on as well um, and we're we're now a, a global search firm uh, so we do executive hiring for key roles or confidential positions um, and one of our differentiators is that we are product specialists so we're a search firm that specializes in products uh, we also have a contingency business for senior hires and we have a thriving interim business as well so are you the founder of intelligent people like did you start it at, at the beginning yeah so yeah i guess, I guess so so co-founder so i i, I started a, a short time before you know started the business up in my spare room and yeah but then we uh, i managed to get a an old colleague to join me and uh yeah we, we moved into offices and off we went wow and then 21 years so so what was your kind of career before that yeah so I, I worked in recruitment before that so i worked in technology recruitment for a big tech firm a technology recruitment firm um, some sales recruitment and, and then university before that although i did did do some traveling so finished university got a job on a cruise ship because i didn't have any money and wanted to travel <laughs> there you go <laughs> Curious, what was your job on the cruise ship? Oh, just working as a waiter. So, uh, finish, yeah, finish university, and it's really hard work. It is great to see the world, but um, yeah, it's uh, it's a hard working way to do it. But I paid off most of my student debt, which was great. What's uh, what's your personal life like? What's home life like? Yeah, so married. I've got two two girls that are um, growing up way too quickly. They're um, ten and twelve. Um, so uh, 
going through these you know phases of uh, development the, the eldest is walking to school on her own now so all of that's really scary but but yeah no, they're, they're great and i'm fortunate fortunate enough to live very close to where i work so 15 minutes walk that is amazing and then uh where are you located at uh, just north of london in the uk north so a place nice. called st albans that, that's amazing you have an, an incredible interesting background there i think um it, it's always interesting to hear others uh, journey into product I, I find that fascinating but now that you're kind of been in this position um you're, you're in this company you have seen a lot of variations of the role of the profession of how companies treat this and then there's kind of like this shift in i guess every year there's something new that's happening within the space because it's ever evolving but in the in the latest shift in in kind of startups in general is kind of this focus on culture fit and and that kind of hot term has come up a lot in in terms of what companies are looking for and so i wanted to kind of dissect that with you um, when we talk about culture fit what does that mean for companies yeah it's a really interesting one and i think i think culture fit the the term is it can be dangerous because if you think about what culture fit perhaps used to mean it often meant hiring in somebody's own image you know are people like us will they fit in are we going to get on with them socially and that that can be dangerous because um i do think that in the past organizations used to um used to try and hire people in 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 their own image that they felt wouldn't cause any you know wouldn't make any waves in the environment people that would fit in i think that now there is a there is a change to more, more be aligned to values so i think culture fit it should be aligned to organizational values regardless of background so um and uh, organizations i think increasingly are, um, are making their their values um a real central strategic thing you know who are we what, what what's important to us you know what sort of what sort of um, organization are we and that should flow down through all parts of the organization um, we see organizations hiring against those values um, and trying to trying to build a diverse workforce you know within that that's interesting like what are some examples of um, those like values that have contributed to um, a good process I've been a part of companies that have they've kind of put that up on the wall and it's like the aspirational five pillars that you want to be your values but you don't actually act those out and yeah so so we see um so for for example i don't know being humble you know it's a simple thing to say but that means um you know being self-aware being able to take self you know criticism kind of recognizing when you're wrong when someone's got a better idea than you and these are all really important for product managers you know if you're working in a team yes you should have an opinion but you should be able to listen as well you should be able to have a conversation and recognize what the best course of action is i think organizations now are aligning personal development okrs uh, to values as well i know exactly what you mean i mean a lot of organizations i think again in the past they'd they'd have a, a set of values they'd stick it on the website and then they'd, they'd kind of tick the box and move on and no one would ever look at them but um in review cycles and appraisal cycles now a lot of organizations are referring back to those values and it's actually a part of you know sort of promotion um, there might not just be you know kind of direct to you know kind of performance criteria relating to your role uh, based on you know role-based achievements but also alignment to the values as well you can't go beyond a certain point unless you demonstrate that you're living the values as well like value i mean you you mentioned one being like being humble or something i i think that, that that's a good one that we can measure against potentially where does it become like 
you know, trying to hire in, in one image versus like, hey, we want to create an environment for this behavior. Like, is there is there kind of a fine line where you kind of see companies dip one way or the other? Yeah, it, it's difficult. I mean, we're always nervous when we feel an organ, you know, an individual is trying to hire in their own image because it it, it naturally put, leaves you at risk of, of bias. Um, and um, you know, so if you if you're trying to hire from a, you know, if you've got quite a narrow perspective on what you need, i.e., somebody that's followed my route or has the same attributes as me, then you're not going to have a diverse team. And you know, there's lots of um, information now about um, how you know an emerging data around how. Um, diversity really does impact commercial performance. I mean, if you think about it, there is, uh, you know, I mean, there's, there's lots going on in the in, in the market at the moment with um, tech firms struggling and, you know, laying people off. But, you know, there, for a long time now, there's been a skill shortage in product management. You know, it's really grown as a discipline. Um, Organisations are increasingly product-led, you know, so they're, they're, they're thinking about why they're doing things and what's, what problem they're solving, what value they're creating, you know, and historically, organizations probably were technology-led, so they have technology teams, you know, building the products and deciding what to do. They didn't necessarily have that commercial thinking, which is what product management is all about. Um, but, there, but there are, you know, there's been huge demand for product management skills. And if you're, if you're hiring from just a part of the, of the skills market, then it's more difficult, it's more challenging. You know, you're less likely to be successful. Um, but also there are, there are other arguments for... Um, you know, having a diverse team. I mean, you know, it's the right thing to do for a start because you shouldn't, you know, discriminate. Everyone should have the same opportunity to, you know, to, to progress and learn and so on. But um, if you have a, a group that, that think differently, um, although that can that can raise some challenges because by its very nature it produces conflict, but um, if that's managed well, um, that, that, that gives you more diversity of ideas and, you know, more creativity. Um, perhaps a better understanding of different customers or different customer segments. So, you know, there are there are commercial impacts from diversity as well. You know, I, I've definitely experienced that in my career. The more diverse of the team, the more interesting ideas come. And yes, there's conflict, but as long as you have those, I think what you're saying is the people that kind of abide by the value system or at least use that to, to communicate with each other when conflict arises is super important. What, what kind of advice would you give to companies or teams um, looking to hire and put the right value system in place so then they can attract a diverse team? Yeah, so the, the value, um, you know, the, va- the value system, I think that's got to be worked through on an individual basis. So organizations have to, um, you know, b- build that out themselves. I think that um, there's lots of work around the, you know, the process of hiring. So um, the, it's got to start with an, an awareness of personal bias and, um, you know, just be, being aware that you could be biased is a, is, an, is a good starting point. You know, having a, having a diversity policy that everyone's aware of and everyone understands their, their own kind of obligations under that policy as well and why diversity is a good thing um, and why as individuals they shouldn't discriminate or harass or, you know, victimise other people. Um, but in terms of the process, I mean, having a going into it with a, you know, a frame, a competency framework, or a, a set of skills that you're you're trying to measure against um, to try and remove bias. Thinking about the, you know, the medium or the channel that you use to try and find candidates. So, are you just using one channel, and you know, does that in, in, in itself present bias? You know, is that channel, um, you know, reach a pool of candidates that that may be uh, limited. 
Um, so um, there are there are many things. Um, I think I think um, e- even tasks. So um, you know, if you think about the recruitment process, building a, a task into the recruitment process can be a really great thing to do. But if somebody has um, you know parenting or caring responsibilities, so they have a full time job um, and they have other responsibilities outside of work, sometimes that can be really challenging. So you know tasks are great but you've got to be mindful of the burden and make sure it's not onerous and a barrier so you know we usually recommend to our clients that a task should take no more than say two hours to prep for and maybe 10 or 15 minutes to present and it should be really clearly defined so that it's you know people know that that's what's expected and 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 nothing more and I, i think sort of you know just data as well so understanding what the composition of your workforce is at the moment um and then measuring against that something that's very very normal for, for product managers but obviously it's usually hr and talent teams that would drive that sort of thing yeah i mean, I mean there's so much uh, innovation in the hr space as well about the the data that they they now have uh, um, or at least the accessibility of the data they have now have and is there anything in particular that benchmarks or, or you know specific tools you like to use to kind of help um, those kind of teams uh, understand and 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 to uh, perform against. Yeah, it's a, it's a good it's a good question. I mean, we don't tend to get too involved in that. I know there are um, there are there are software vendors now that provide the sort of HR tech that um, in a in a more anonymous way um, helps organisations to understand the composition of their workforce. Um, you know the, the, the sort of underrepresented or underrepresented or minority groups. Um, it's difficult because you want you want people to feel comfortable revealing some really quite sensitive stuff. It could be you know sexual orientation, um, that sort of thing. Some people may be really uncomfortable with that, or you know religious beliefs. Um, so. Um, I think there are. I think there, there's technology now that is um, third-party. It's anonymized. It is opt-in, but it enables organisations, hopefully, to understand how they're how they're benchmarking at present and areas where they can improve their, uh, you know, the composition of their their workforce. I think from a hiring perspective, I mean, we we often we often get asked, you know, we we have a we have a challenge with um, you know sort of female representation um, at this level. Um, so we. You know, it, it's, it can often be challenging because clients say to us, "We, you know, we would really like to hire a, you know, a, a woman in this role." Um, and of course, our response is, "Look, we will, we will absolutely do our best to present a diverse shortlist, but we, you know, but it has to be representative from our perspective." But we're we're always thinking about how we can um, how we can do that, how we can build diverse shortlist, how we can make sure that we have a you know a relationship with the different communities and you know that we're actively targeting people from different backgrounds um i, I like that uh, diverse shortlist so how do, how do you guys kind of go up, um, start building that for a specific company in a role um what are kind of the inputs that you get from that company and then what do you like i mean you don't have to unveil all of the secret sauce but um <laughs> but where we're kind of the the groups like what what do we need to be aware about if we're in in that kind of a position I think that our um, it, it's a really good question. I mean, our our default position is to always try and find the best candidates available. Um, so, you know, regardless of background, um, we'll then sit back and reflect and think: Is this a diverse shortlist? And if it's not, we will then really try and focus different groups of people to try and make sure that they're included in the shortlist. Um, so, it's it's really challenging. I mean, we try and we we always try and find the best possible person. 
sometimes it's really challenging to have a, a completely diverse shortlist, but it's something that we always strive to do. And, and with that diverse shortlist, is it race, gender, kind of age? Is there what are the what is goes into the makeup of a diverse shortlist? Yeah, well, so so that's really challenging as well because um, if you're thinking about sexual orientation or gender reassignment, that's really difficult to tell. So. Um, it's not. It's not as though we can actively target certain um, underrepresented groups. Um, you know, so gender is usually an obvious one, and um, you know, often, you know, we, we, we you know, it's very easy to uncover people from um, different ethnic backgrounds. But it, but it starts to get sensitive when you start talking about religion, and you know, some, you know, often we can be asked to try and monitor that, but it has to be opt in. Um, so we can say to candidates that we you know, we're trying to um, monitor the diversity of our shortlist, and we really appreciate it if you complete this, you know, anonymised um, kind of um, you know form. Um, but at the end of the day, candidates have to feel comfortable doing it. Yeah. So we we you know all we can really do is ask and try and reassure candidates. When you when you piece together that short list of diverse candidates, that's kind of the goal of removing bias within that um, hiring process. Are there other ways that, um, you know, as, as product hiring managers out there that are looking to remove bias in that process that they can, they can do? Yeah. So I think um, there's, there's a few things, a couple, a couple of them I've mentioned. So, you know, having um, a clear hiring plan. So don't just react to candidates as you see them have a consistent hiring plan know what the stages are who's involved and if the and if the if the people that are um, you know leading the assessment or are involved in the process can come from a diverse background then that's reassuring for candidates as well i like that so as a part of the company so you know diverse in the company so like different roles in the organization um you know different uh, uh genders or races potentially in that in that as well or um you know whatever you can to kind of make that a diverse pool of you know in the hiring board or yeah absolutely absolutely and then you know when when you're washing up and you're comparing notes and gradings against different candidates then hopefully that will you know that will bring a really fair and balanced assessment of the of of the candidates that have been assessed it's it's a difficult one because you know Whenever we're whenever we're talking to a client about a recruitment process, we're always saying that who has to be involved. That's where we should start, you know, because often clients say, "Oh, we need to involve Bob and Jane and you know so and so," and then we wanted to meet a load of stakeholders too. And before you know it, the candidate's gone. You know, they've taken another job. So um, you've got to walk the balance, and um, you know, getting so it's great if you can include that, but um, you've got to think about a timely and um, pacey process that keeps up with this with the speed of the market as well. Um, I think, but you know, one one thing that we're seeing as well is, um, you know, if you think about the, you know, the gender pay disparity. So, you know, many, um, you know, kind of very senior roles are still dominated by men, um, and they're underrepresented. Uh, underrepresented uh, women are underrepresented, and um, and also, um, you know, there is you know, constant media that's coming out, certainly in, in the UK and Europe, and I think America as well, about women being paid less than men. And one of the one of the trends that we're seeing and that we're really supportive of is kind of not not asking women what their previous salary was because um, if a woman you know was paid less and you know we're, we're only perpetuating gender based you know pay disparities if we're if we're saying hey this candidate's really cheap because look at what they earned before 
you know we think candidates should be paid a, they should be benchmarked and paid a fair fair role based on their a fair salary and package based on their experience so how does how does the uk treat that um uh, pay pay range page pay scale for roles do they publicize it or is it just yeah not always i think you know in certain territories it's um it's actually illegal to um so illegal to post the range oh interesting yeah so certain parts of europe um so in in the uk um you know it's kind of good if you do but a lot of organizations don't um it's good it's good if you do because you tend to get a better better response you know so and we see we see that in data so if we're if we're doing some you know paid advertising for a client and they say look we can't we can't advertise the salary because it's sensitive and you know we, we our data shows us that we get lower responses so it's much better if you you know if you can advertise the salary um so you know often 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 we talk to clients about, um, particularly in a in a market such as we've had over the last eighteen months, where there's been real wage inflation, um, and you know you can start talking about a price point with a candidate at the beginning of a recruitment process, and you know four weeks later things have changed massively because they're in the market and you know they're getting their head turned by other opportunities. So um, it's uh, it, it can be a really challenging market. So. You know, we, we we try and talk to our clients about showing them a you know a range of, of candidates at different levels, and sometimes they might see someone at the perhaps at the junior level that might be a, a high trajectory candidate, um, and that may be enough for them. They may you know they may feel that's okay. Sometimes you know actually they can they can see the you know the value of the experience of a of a more experienced candidate, maybe somebody who's you know been there and done it more, um, who who can bring more experience to the role. Um, so. Yeah, salary's salary's been challenging over the last eighteen months, definitely. Yeah, we experienced that as well. In Colorado, I think it's one of the unique states in the that they actually have a law that you have to post if if you're hiring in Colorado, you have to post the uh, the salary or, or the salary range rather. Um, and so now a lot of the tech companies don't want to hire. Like I think Spotify has chosen not to hire in Colorado, and I don't know if it's because of that in particular, but I, I feel like a lot of companies are cho- choosing not to because of that. But um, but it is interesting that you have a higher response rate, and I like the you're kind of almost removing the negotiation or almost having the first step of negotiation with saying like, hey, this is you know, on average we compete with um, you know the industry wide standard for these roles, and this is what we're looking at. And if you're a candidate that coming from a diverse background that doesn't uh, might get underpaid, then it's like great. Well, now I have a you know um, a transparent opportunity with with what I'm looking for, and, and I'm I'm going to get paid what I'm worth essentially in that in that position. And I, I think we're entering a very different climate now. So um, you know, six months ago, we'd work with big tech companies, maybe you know, raised us a huge amount of money, you know, hundreds of millions, and they wanted the best talent and they would compete for it and they just wouldn't lose. You know, they would throw money, they would throw stock um, to to get the right people that they felt were you know right for their organization um we, we're seeing a big sea change now and um you know there are you know large tech companies and scale-ups um well large tech companies that are you know not hitting their quarterly numbers and they're, they're laying people off now and um we're seeing a lot of i mean it's interesting because there, there are so many tech businesses that have raised a huge amount of money and still have a lot of runway um but even even those are starting to think about that. Are we going to hit our our, our our metrics and our numbers for our next you know liquidity point or whatever? 
um, and um, they're, they're starting to, to tighten the screws a little bit. So we're seeing more candidates flowing into the market now generally and um, you know things slowing down a little bit. I mean, it's definitely not apocalyptic. There's still a lot of action out there, but um, but yeah, it's not as buoyant as it was you know, six, 12 months ago. Yeah, I mean, that's shifted pretty quick. <laughs> it was a candidate market for a second there. Uh, and then, yeah, it's definitely shift. So what are kind of the big things that you've noticed in the past like month or so based on the new market? Yeah. So, so this, so there's still, there's still a lot of activity, there's a, there, but there is a, there is a, a slowdown. Um, it's funny in the, in the UK and Europe, I think, um, you know, there's, there's been a, you know, some macroeconomic stuff, you know, the, the cost of living, inflation, um, and that's really starting to filter through now. So I think a lot of the supermarkets and the retailers were, you know, and, you know utility bills that was being weathered um, and, you know, people are on fixed prices and think about, you know, mortgages, people maybe on fixed rates and interest rates are going up. So that's gradually filtering through. And I think in the second half of this year, consumers are really going to feel it. Um, and I think that's that that seems to be, you know, in my opinion, what's driving a lot of the, um, you know, the squeeze in the in the market. It's pushing us into recession. It's affecting a lot of tech companies that, you know, and, and they're and they're hiring um, as well. So um, it's um, yeah. So we've really started to see that change, and um, it's uh, you know, like I say, it's not apocalyptic. There's still plenty of stuff out there, but. It's, it's definitely tightening up a bit, I think. Well, let's shift the conversation a little bit into product leadership. And you, you mentioned uh, product executives and, um, you know, you've, you've seen a lot out there. And so uh, what trends are you seeing in that landscape as you're hiring in product leaders? Because in this past 20 years, right, that this role has shifted. There's been more of an expertise. There's more of a, a course of how to do product management, right? So there's more leaders with... Uh, you know, quite a bit of experience doing the role and the position in the current way that it's done. And so, <clears throat> what trends are you seeing? So the so the pool is a lot bigger, and um, the, the the candidate pool. So product management has been growing and growing, and you know we see people out of university now wanting to move, go to product management, which you know is is just fantastic. Um, and I think you know you know product management is um, it doesn't have the same diversity challenges as um, as say tech. I don't think, you know, developers, software engineers, um, certainly with, you know, gender. Um, so there are more women in, you know, product management, I think, and it's and it's less challenged from a, you know, a gender diversity perspective. Um, so um, often organizations that have, um, you know, diversity challenges, they look to product to try and hire, say, a strong, um, you know, female product leader. Um, or from a you know from a from a say an ethnic background or something like that, um, and it's just it's just a great thing to do. I mean, if you're um, you know if you're trying to um, to create a more diverse and inclusive organisation, then put put someone from a you know an underrepresented group at the top of the organisation, and it sends a great message. It inspires people within the team, and we do and we do have that a lot. We have people that. Um, say quite strongly that the, we, we, we need to have a diverse shortlist which and we can see this strong desire to um, you know really try and find um, you know a strong leader it might be a woman or it might be someone from a certain you know an ethnic background or whatever um, it's really and it, and it is really challenging and we have to walk a line because we we have to find the best person for the role you know we can't um, you know not hire men onto that shortlist and you know we we can't we can't put women on a shortlist just because they're a woman. You know, they've got to be 
real contenders for the role, of course. Um, so it's important that we go to that message. And it's really dangerous if we make um, anyone feel that they're, they're ticking a box or they're trying to hit a quota. And that's why we're talking to them. Um, and, you know, we've learned a few lessons over the years about that. And um, it's, uh, yeah, it, but it's, a, you know, for hiring product leaders, it's a great, it's a great way to, you know, kind of immediately impact the, you know, the, the way that your organization um, kind of is, is viewed internally and externally, um, you know, from a, a DNI perspective, definitely. How do you assess the product leaders for that short list? Like, I'm assuming you see a lot of candidates coming through the pipe. Is there, yeah, do you have uh, tests, exams? Like, what, what does that look like? Yeah, so we don't, we don't tend to do tests or exams. So every, every search is different. Um, you know, we talk to our clients and um, they'll have different criteria. Sometimes there's domain experience that might be important. or And it really, it really you know, every, every role is different. So sometimes there's an organization go through a scale-up journey and that's the experience they want. Or um, it might be some kind of a strategic change that they're going through. Um, and, um, you know, a product leader that has a team of 100 people is very different to a product leader that has a team of 10 or 20 people. So it's a different type of person and, you know, um, uh, you know, different different types of challenges. So, the, you know, in terms of how we grade and, you know, kind of assess them, um, it tends to be linked to the competencies that are relevant to the to the role in question. And, and that's a very individual thing. But the key thing is that we, we you know, we do walk away from a briefing with a clear understanding of what we're looking for and how we measure it so that we can make sure that we're doing that in a neutral and unbiased way. Interesting. I think there's been more talk about product competencies in the last year or so. And I love that, that, you know, skill, unbiased skill assessment that has, you know, it's a, I think Ravi Mehta's got a good one. It's the, the 12 point competency matrix. There's, there's so many good ones out there that then you can kind of measure your skills within one way or the other, you know, what shape is this type of product manager and, and this one, right? Yeah, definitely. And we've, you know, we've got, we're, we're often asked that, you know, how do we, how do we assess someone? What questions should we ask? And, you know, we've got a, a blog on our website, I think, which has a, you know, a list of typical sample, um, you know, product management interview questions or product leader interview questions but really you should you should start with the competencies so what what actually what, what are the competencies what are the competencies we're assessing them against and then you can build out your you know your competency questions following on from that and then you ask the candidates the same question and see you know what sort of answer they give and how the strength of their answer so it could be you know give me an give me an example of where you've had to manage a very uh, tricky um, you know stakeholder relationship with someone that was more senior than you you know, and then you talk through the detail. You know, what were the circumstances? What were you trying to do? What problems did you encounter? What was the outcome? What did you learn from it? What, what would you do differently with hindsight? So that kind of competency line of questioning against a specific competency um, really gives you some, uh, you know, a flavour of the depth of experience that someone might have in in that kind of situation. You know, sort of, I don't know, use of data or something to to, to make decisions is another classic one. You know, so give an example of something you've done that you feel is the most impactful and and then you know how do you know it was impactful so what, what you know what, what what data point were you tracking and you know what dial were you moving and how did you measure it and how did you decide what to measure and what outcome did it get and why was it why was that outcome impactful so um yeah so it all relates back to whatever competencies are relevant for the role and you know sometimes it's, that might be you know technical domain experience or you know, it's often talk around how transferable product skills are and um, you know our, our view is 
they're very, they're very transferable, but sometimes, you know, maybe transition from B2C to B2B is, might be more difficult, you know, because mm. you're dealing with... A bit of a learning curve, right? Yeah, millions of consumers versus perhaps enterprise customers that you have relationships with. And, and sometimes, domain, you know, we, we can see that domain experience might be, might really shorten the learning curve. So if it's from a regulated industry or if there's something very technical like payments gateways or something, then, you know, you can understand that someone within that market would be, you know, particularly valuable and would get up and running more quickly. Do you see a difference of the, the product execs that you hire from small companies to, to more, you know, to larger? Like, what is that kind of, does that skill change? Does the competency change from your experience? Is that, uh, I'm curious. Again, it's a really interesting one. And, um, you know, we, we notice trends in the sort of people that our, our clients tend to go for. And if if they're, say, an early stage scale up and, you know, they, they, they you, you can, you it's difficult to take someone who's only worked in large enterprise organizations it's not impossible and you know people do make that transition all the time of course it's a it lessens the risk if somebody has experience of a a chaotic early stage startup where you haven't got all of this infrastructure and teams and resources around you and if you want something doing you've just got to do it and you're pulled in different directions and it's chaotic so the if you think about an organization that's going through a scale-up journey and they're you know they're fairly early stage but perhaps well funded and they've got a proven product market fit um, our clients tend to like people that have maybe worked in larger you know enterprise organizations but then have experience of going through you know maybe then it's not the first time that they've done it um, so we really try and track candidates that have been through that that journey because a lot of our work is I mean we work with some large organizations but we do a lot of work with scale-ups so either you know business, businesses that have are just going into a, a fundraise or are just on the other side of one and they need to invest and build and scale we're, we're asked that all the time so you know we need someone who's been through a scaling journey it's and it's challenging because uh, they, they tend to be very good and everyone wants to hire them and usually they've made a load of money if they've done it really well <laughs> yeah well that, that, that's very interesting so I, I i've kind of experienced a little bit of that as well that you know wanting to see someone that has done it before in that same role to have confidence i wonder when we talk about diversity of background and diversity of experience too in this type of a role would do you ever see enterprise companies or those large scale companies taking a, a swing on someone that is that does not have experience like that yeah very very occasionally and and is it ever successful <laughs> I, th- I think it can be because I, I think there's a lot of lot of you know due diligence that goes into those decisions and it's a brave thing to do but we've worked with a couple of organizations you know Elon Musk's first principle thinking you know they really you, you might have a leader within the business who um, really you know believes and values you know first principle thinking and um, and they'll and they'll they'll go through a series of questioning to try and uncover whether somebody thinks in that way if they can break down a problem to its kind of natural truths and then not just think that what's happened before but actually what what are the what are the basic truths of this and then then construct the solution from the ground up in a real-time conversation and it's it's a, it's a challenging thing to do but if people think that way and can demonstrate that they think that way then it tends to be people like that that they'll take a swing on i would say you know, if I'm a product leader looking for a new role, maybe I was a part of layoffs or I, you know, I'm actively, I'm just, you know, looking for my next opportunity. What is that kind of time horizon to expect? What does that journey look like? Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, of course. It, de- it depends where you are. So, um, 
you know, in Europe it can be, you know, certain parts of Europe it can be um, quite a long process. There's lots of thought and due diligence. You know, in France it's a it's a very big big decision to hire because there's lots of employment rights. So, um, you know, there's lots of lots of thought that goes into that. And you know, in Germany people tend to have six months notice. At, you know, that sort of level. Whereas in North America it's kind of two weeks two weeks and you're gone. You know. Um, not, it's not always like that, but it, but it often can be. So, I, I think, I think in, and I, and I think that's reflective in the process. So, um, you know, in certain parts of Europe, it can take three months to go through a process, um, and that's very normal. Um, in North America, it can be, you know, even for product leader, three, four weeks, um, you know, and then you, you can be done. So, um, yeah, I think that a lot of that is a is a regional regional thing based on. You know, kind of employment conditions. I would say. Oh, it's good to hear the different um, regional expectations for that too. I think that's helpful. And as a recruitment business, we love we love working with US clients because uh, people start so quickly. You know, it's great. It, it, it removes a lot of the risk for us, and you know, it means we can get the project done and you know the outcome quick more quickly. We sweat a bit in Europe. You know, when there's a six month notice. <laughs> Are, is, are there any like expectations of severance in Europe or in other parts of the uh, world that you've experienced? Because I think with executive or product leadership, it's I mean, in the States, I think it's a crapshoot, right? Like there's no standard for it. But I'm curious if there is a standard that you've experienced. Yeah. So uh, do you mean from a non-compete perspective or? Let's say that a um, an executive is a part of a layoff or something like that um, or a termination. So would they have, um, do they typically have severance in that case that you've experienced? Yeah. So it's usually a time-based thing, um, but, you know, seniority as well. You know, there's different legislative frameworks in different different parts of the world. So, you know, again, in certain parts of Europe, and I think in the Netherlands, it, you can you know, you can be, you'll be paid for 12 months or something, you know, it's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I say crazy, of course, it's not crazy. It's just a, it's just a different uh, system. Um, but they pay for that. They pay for that in their tax. Um, but um, yeah, so um, I, I think there, there, are, there are a few variables there based on seniority and what part of part of the world they're in. Um, and, where, you know, whether I guess who who, who kind of initiated it? So if someone resigns and you know they want to get out because they've got something exciting that they want to go to, um, you know, often non-compete comes into it, and you have to kind of swallow some garden leaf maybe um, before you can before you can start. You have to let a certain amount of time expire. Is garden leave is that used in America? I'm not sure. What is that? Oh, uh, it's when you um, you finish a job and but you're not allowed to do anything. So we call it garden leave over here because you're supposed to just hang around in your garden. You know, just. In, some garden no <laughs> never heard about this i okay. love it <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 no i mean we do have non-competes right so but i think you know i've experienced a couple different lengths of that some have been up to like 18 months of not you know and you know it, so it really just depends i think yeah and in the in the uk there's a question over how enforceable that is i think um you know so six months is seen as a you know a reasonable um you know period to to you know to break um i think that there's you know so clauses around intellectual property and you know discoveries that that can obviously last a lot longer but um um, but yeah um, it it just depends on where where you are in the world i think i was trying to see if there's a correlation between the um leave package policy in the states and the in the turnaround time um versus uh the turnaround time that you see other uh, elsewhere so 
Um, I guess there is the, yeah, the two weeks, the standard two weeks and stuff like that. But I think most, most folks are hiring at will and, and it's pretty, you know, it's courtesy more than a legislation, right? Um, I don't know if there's anything like that, but. Yeah, I, th- I think so. And there's a, you know, a bit of a negotiation and, you know, what, what, one challenge sometimes can be when, you know, people have a, a desire to leave, but maybe they're walking away from you know, stock that might be about to vest. So, you know, we often see sign-on bonuses to try and compensate for some of that and soften the blow. So that can be quite normal with, you know, with senior leaders as well. Um, yeah, but it's, it, yeah, it, 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 I mean, there's, you know, there's lots of lots of cycles out there in the market. And I think, you know, I think Amazon, for example, went through a phase where a lot of the, a lot of the shares invested. And um, I think they, they you know, they, they may be, Stop to stop to give as many as many shares, so it became less of an anchor. Uh, and we certainly saw a phase, you know, over the last twelve months where a lot of people were, you know, had done their time at Amazon. It'd been really lucrative, and it was time. For, you know, they felt time for them to to leave to go on to the next challenge. Any new types of incentives that companies are kind of putting in place to? Um you know, maintain uh, longevity with a company? Because I've seen, I mean, in, in tech and product and startup land, I mean, you know, you can stay at a role for, for a year, right? And that, you know, that's as long as you get to a year, right? Um, it may be the case. Um, and so, yeah, have you seen anything like that that keeps employees around longer? Yeah, so I think the um, the main one um, is driven by by COVID and, and the pandemic, I think, and it's flexibility. So that's the main change and it's massively valuable to people, you know, the ability to, to work flexibly, flexibly, you know, to work remotely, um, to have support to do that, um, to have support if you're, you know, I mean, we, hopefully, fingers crossed, we're not going to have any more lockdowns, you know, um, certainly our government in the UK are indicating that, and you know, we're not going to have any more COVID-related lockdowns. Uh, uh, and um, certainly not like that in other parts of the world, like you know China and so on. But um, every, every, everywhere seems to be different. But um, people were really challenged during that time with things like childcare and you know all of the old policies, where, which said that, that if you're working from home, you can't care for a child at the same time. It kind of went out of the window, and you know companies went into max flexibility mode because it was the right thing to do. And recognizing that actually it was really difficult for many of their employees. Um, and, and I think that's one of the things that people really, really value, you know, that, that flexibility, um, uh, whether it's working from home or around childcare or the hours that you work. And, you know, we see lots of organisations now being more outcome focused and say that we don't, we don't mind when you work or what you do as long as you're doing what you need to, you know, just make it work for yourself. Um, so, it, uh, yeah, so maybe, I don't know if that's a, you know, I mean, there's always the usual stuff like bonuses and stock and, you know, benefits and health cover and stuff. But I think that's the that's the big thing that is changing. Um, and that also weaves into diversity as well, because if, if you've got caring responsibilities at home, children or elderly people or whatever, um, or you're caring for someone with a disability, then that's really, really valuable to, you know, certain people. You know, we, we've kind of spanned a lot, a lot of different topics all within the kind of the hiring process and you know, we kind of started with diversity, inclusion, culture fit, and then kind of ended with uh, um, <laughs> product leadership and executives and how, how that kind of fits into the mix. So with, with kind of the breadth of topics that we kind of discussed, what kind of homework would you give to our listeners? A, g- a good thing to think about might be um, to try and um, understand your 
um, potential to be, um, you know, to, for, for personal bias. So maybe think about people that you've worked with in the past, people that you've hired and why you hired them, um, and whether um, you were, um, you know, you were biased in any way. You were trying to hire someone to fit in with the, with the culture of a team, that kind of culture fit, or somebody, somebody that was like you. So, so really just reflect on, on a last hiring decision you made and kind of, um, or, or maybe something where, um, how objective you know, now and measurable. Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah. I like that. Okay. I like that. Yeah. I would say, you know, likewise the, I like the, um, um, the, on your hiring team or your hiring panel, um, making sure that there's diverse candidates on there. Um, uh, particularly, I love diversity of background of profession in that as well, especially if they're stakeholders or you work very closely with, you'll interact with analytics or, you know, um, someone over in sales and, and having them a part of that process to kind of build that non-bias um, objective uh, opinion in that. And then, you know, I, I don't know about so much as hiring by committee, but I do like having the discussion point around the committee and then, you know, having the hiring manager make the final call. I think that kind of might, could be a good structure that works out. So if you don't have something like that in place or if, uh, you know, really focus on that process because I think you can really build amazing teams that develop amazing products with, with uh, you know, diverse backgrounds and, 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 and culture and, and all sorts of stuff. So... Well, great. Um, well, Chris, where, where can, um, where can our listeners find you? Where can our listeners find mo- out more about intelligent people? So I'm always happy to connect on LinkedIn and, uh, our website is intelligentpeople.com. Uh, so, uh, we've got lots of resources on there as well, by the way, for both, uh, people who are looking for the next opportunity and also, um, who are looking to, uh, to, you know, to hire a product, um, product manager or a product leader as well. Ah, that's great. I'm sure a lot of us um, out there out there right now are. So it's a good resource. And then you're not just hiring in the UK, is that correct? You're hiring um, globally. Yeah, that's that's correct. We hire globally. So most most of our work is in North America and you know Europe. We grew up in the UK, so we you know we're very big in the UK, but different parts of Europe and North America, sometimes further afield as well. That's awesome. Well, we'll, we'll link out in the uh, description, but that's intelligentpeople.co.uk. Well, Chris, thank you so much for coming on the show. It looks like we finished up our coffee, so go level up. This has been Product Coffee, produced and engineered by me, Kevin Gentry. Through our podcast partner, Anchor, you can now record a voice message and send us ideas or topics to cover, and who knows, we might end up playing it on the show. You can also become a supporter of Product Coffee by contributing a monthly donation to help us sustain future episodes. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Product Coffee on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.